You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. You can't steer a boat that's not moving. We, need, we as Christians, we need to start opening our mouths. And it says that he who believes on the Son has life, and he that does not believe um, does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, to me, one of the greatest things God did to me was give me peace, give me a hope, give me a promise. And I thought, I have eternal life. I'm, I'm bound for heaven, and it's, it's forever. I'm Mark Dana. And I'm Venus Cote. And this is Hope to the Nations. One, two, three. We're live at Arrowhead Native Bible Center. Wee-hoo! And we're here with Toby Rousseau. And we had already had a conversation with you earlier, but for those that are just joining us now, uh, Toby is from Eel Ground First Nation, mm-hmm. and she has a, a story to share with us. Part of that story has to do with health issues uh, that we were going to pick up on right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just turn it over to you to kind of fill us in what, what you wanted to share with us. Thanks, Mark. Kind of stole your thunder, Venus. I know. You were just <laughs> kind of quiet there. That's good. <laughs> I like that. We'll let him... Uh, You're going to let it slide because you didn't have yeah. a witty comeback right there. Yeah, we'll just... Well, I wasn't <laughs> within arm's reach either, so that was, that was advantageous <laughs> to me. Keeping his distance. Yeah. Okay, so like Mark said, uh, I'm Toby Russo, and I'm from Eel Ground First Nation. I'm here just to share uh, my my story about my paralysis and experience through um, having a, a brain tumor and then stroke during that brain surgery and how... I le- really leaned into God during the recovery process. So I guess I'll start. How did you know it was <clears throat> there or how did this come about? Well, Venus, when we first met, me and Russo and the kids were living in Eel Ground. Yeah. Uh, but after that, uh, 2015, uh, my adopted mom, who I spoke about in our previous podcast, had decided that she was going to move to Nanaimo, B.C. to go be with her mom, who was aging, and her sisters and her brother lived out on the island. And um, so when my mom decided she was going to move across the country, my husband and I and our kids all decided that we would follow her. Beautiful part of the country out there. It, it really okay. is. I mean, just the weather alone, having no snow in the wintertime was a cellar. Mm-hmm. What we didn't know was the high cost of living and <clears throat> what was to come once we got there. But anyhow, my mom got out there, uh, took care, helped her sisters take care of their mom, my Granny Greer, And um, we sold everything in our home and found some renters to live there and take care of the house. And we packed up and and started driving. 
so there was seven of us at that time. We had a foster child who was going to stay with us. Do you remember him? Or yes. Have you met him? Yeah. I'm not going to name him because yeah. he's a foster child, but we, we fell in love with him. Uh, <clears throat> he was a great addition to our family, our funny farm. <laughs> 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 so we had made arrangements for this young man to come with us all the way across the country um, and stay with us as a part of our family because he had grown in our hearts and um, we wanted to keep him, I guess. <clears throat> but after we had sold everything that we owned and couldn't pack into the vehicle, uh, that was already all sold and um, we were arranging for everyone to pack up their most special belongings. Everyone, the rule was everyone was allowed one backpack. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> just as a joke, tell your teenagers that you're going to, you're moving and they can only bring one backpack and see their reaction. <laughs> it, it's, I'm sure it was traumatizing for them to have their parents just make this decision. Um, we included them in that decision, but uh, <coughs> we, <laughs> we moved. So we started driving across country. It ended up right before we left uh, that our foster boy decided that he wanted to stay, um, that he didn't want to move out to British Columbia because his um, his parents were from the were from uh, New Brunswick and he didn't want to leave them and he had a sibling who was also two siblings who were also in foster care in my community so he wanted to stay close to his mm. siblings so we really understood that and we were sad about him not being with us but also relieved that he was making a choice for himself and was able to say that mm -hmm. and advocate for himself Mm -hmm. Yes. And so he stayed behind. But we we got on the road, and we had a big dog at that time, too. Do you remember Spirit? Yes. Um, Spirit, well, she's, she's gone now. She's, she's passed away. We buried her on the island. Anyway, she was a great big Bernice mountain dog, and there was no way she was traveling in the van with us. With... <laughs> Six of Almost us. Almost like another person. Oh, yes. Or two. <laughs> but very furry and smelly. <laughs> <clears throat> so we, everything was just kind of working out. And our church was, uh, Victor and Stephen and them were um, sad about our decision. Mom, of course, was very happy because that meant that half of her grandkids were coming across the country with her. But uh, we just, we just kept, well, I should say, I just kept feeling and thinking that, you know, everything seems to be working out so smoothly that it's got to be what mm -hmm. what God wants for us. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that um, sometimes we can trick ourselves into believing that this is God's will and not our own uh, earthly desires. Mm -hmm. You know, we can 
Am I saying that? Am I explaining well, that right? Sometimes mm -hmm. the two don't have, one doesn't have to go against the other because they do go very much together. Mm -hmm. But we always have to kind of second guess ourselves, like, is this just what I want? Yeah. Or is it more than that, right? Mm -hmm. I think I, I, that's how I would yeah. resume, uh, sum it up. Yeah. So, and I mean, he did give us free will and desires. Yeah. And yeah. Definitely. You know, we have in instincts, right? We have instincts to go by, and but I think I to soften the blow. Sorry, I'm watching <laughs> sign language here with that chimp in the corner. No, sorry. <laughs> He's a handsome chimp. Yeah. <laughs> we can cut all that. No, you won't. <laughs> so, and, no. So you were just meant for him yeah. to bring it closer. Yeah. I'm just going to put this here because it's turned a little bit this sideways. <laughs> he went cross-eyed there yeah. for a second. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we, we packed up everybody. Um, my pharmacist, actually, was more than willing to take care of our gigantic dog spirit until we got out there and were settled and could fly her across the country so that's what we did it took us 10 days of being in uh, a very packed vehicle we had um six people okay and one of those people were was Moise, he was still in a car seat, I think, three years old, so still using a, a large car seat, and we had a big um, travel bag on top of the van, packed full of extra clothing and stuff. <coughs> Your whole household. Well, yeah, uh, just clothing and things that were, you know, important, like our cell phones and chargers, of course. So did it go well, the trip? It, yeah, we, um, and... I thought my brother Jonathan, who the listeners may have learned about in... He's the one that's autistic, right? Yeah, he has autism. Your brother. And um, he doesn't um, do well with change, right? Like most most um, people that are diagnosed with autism struggle with change. Even I struggle with change. Teenagers. Everyone does. Everyone does anything that's different and out of your comfort zone. I mean, for me traveling across the country with the people that I love um, don't always get along with but we love each other mm. um, was quite the adventure for all of us and we um, we stopped different places along the way I went to university with um, some First Nations people from uh, Kippewa Ontario which is right on the border yep, of Quebec where and that is, yeah uh, so they, her family invited us to stay with them for a few days. So we did that and swimming in the pool and all that jazz and just had a really fun, good huh? time. Yeah. We mm. made the best out of the situation. Uh, so Russo did most of the driving and, um, I was constantly looking up the next Tim Horton stop or which hotel had free breakfast and a pool. Because we, if we didn't have a place to stay or family or friends to go stay with, we stayed at a hotel. But to get our money's worth, <laughs> you wanted a pool. Uh, free breakfast and a pool. 
so everybody could just let loose, have fun. Yeah. And to feed all of us, <laughs> seven people, that's... Could that's, get expensive. Yeah, it does. So we, um, we had a really good time. And for Jonathan, we found uh, a dinosaur statue park. And so we, along the way, so we made sure that we stopped at these different places and he's obsessed with dinosaurs. And So when you got there? Oh man, when we got there, things were still falling into place. So I, me and my mom laughed because uh, she decided to move first, but we got there first. Oh. We <laughs> followed, yeah, we followed her out there, but we arrived first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so things were still falling into place as we were traveling across the country. I was um, Facebook blogging, I guess, our okay. adventure and gaining some, I was becoming Facebook famous. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, Just but like Venus is. Yeah. <laughs> but it really worked out so well. Um, there was this one lady who... I don't know how she started following me on Facebook, but just by chance, uh, her name is Bonnie Williams, and uh, she was working with First Nations people in Nanaimo at uh, Child and Family Services. Okay. And part of their programming was to do do program parenting groups and programming for kids in care, kids and families that are risk of entering the foster care system. And she had suggested to her boss that they hire me. So when we got oh, to wow. the island, um, one of the challenges was finding a place to live, of course. Cause it's very expensive, right? Very. And there's no place to live. Like You can't just go out there and find a place to rent. Hmm. So we camped out at a campground for two full weeks after driving 10 days. <clears throat> We stayed at Mermaid Cove in Nanaimo, and um, it was close to my grandmother's house, and my mom arrived, and I met my aunts again. It was almost like meeting my aunts for the first time. Because of the context of being in there, where they live. Yeah, cause they lived across the country ever since, for a long, long time, so I never really knew them. So I got to meet more family, and along the way we stayed at uh, one of my uncles, one of my brother's. And so you were getting to <coughs> reconnect with your family with or connecting with your family? Yeah, family and friends. And and you, f you eventually found a place to live? Yeah, so we're at this campground for two weeks and we're everyone's having a great time. We're, there's lots of swimming and campfires. It was just a perfect way to end our long um, vacation per se. Yeah, vehicle drive with... Mm -hmm. Your move, human in bodies a in a vehicle. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so I went to a local store to go um, stock up on campfire supplies, and just so happened there was, I was chit, I was chat, chatting it up with the cashier, and most of the time by word of mouth you can find what you're looking for. So, mm -hmm. the cashier overheard me talking to this lady behind me who is now my friend Rose, she, um, <clears throat> we just became friends, the lady that was behind me. Yeah. 
and the lady that was behind you in line. Yeah, we became your friend. We yeah, we <laughs> became very close friends. Actually, we're still friends. And wow. um, so I was talking to her about um, being adopted. She's she's African American or African Canadian, and First Nation, and was adopted to a non-native family in the United States. So you had adoption had a, in common. We had a something in common right away, and just got talking. But anyway, got talking about how we just moved here and can't find a place to live. The cashier uh, jumped in and said, hey, um, I overheard you and my landlord has a mini home next door to where I live for rent. And they're looking for. Wow. So that worked. We found yes. a place to live. It was it was just a mini home, but it had just enough space for us. That's great. Yeah, and it had a big backyard, so and they were going to allow my dog to come as well. So you were able to get in established there? Yeah. And get, you had a job? Yeah, the lady that started following me on um, social media um, actually pretty much got me this job. Well, she recommended me just from from my Facebook page and seeing that I was coming and, uh, you know, First Nation... We, I guess we have each other's back, right? Like she was First Nation from the West Coast. She's seen that there was a First Nations person coming from the East Coast. And so there was a solid, you might use the word solidarity between you. Yeah. Um, so we got set up. I got working first and my mom, my aunt, Sandra, uh, my mom, my adopted mom's sister, who's living out in Nanaimo, taking care of Granny Greer. Uh, was working with a modular home company for quite some time, like years, mm -hmm. and they needed a laborer. So Russo got hired with them just through family contact. and. So you got established <laughs> yeah, there? We, we both had jobs almost right away, found a house, a place to live within two weeks. and that So... so Things were still going like they were still very well, right? Yeah, very, falling very into place, and it just felt like okay, this is where we're supposed to be. Even though our church was very sad to see us go, and mm -hmm. but Which so is to to bring in uh, the paralysis part, I was beginning to have these very strange um, symptoms, like uh, heart beating really fast and. Uh, I guess what you would call an anxiety attack, which I never knew what it, what it, what that was. I've only heard about them, and so found a family doctor for all of us, right? Uh, through needing to see a doctor, <clears throat> and then I started uh, having the, this other symptom where I would know I was going to get an anxiety attack because I would smell a chemical, okay. like I would have a a smell come to me. And then I would have the anxiety attack. So when I spoke to this doctor, she said, well, I can help you with the heart. Palpitations. Yeah. That sounds like anxiety. But the, the smelling something that nobody else can smell, that's a brain issue. And we need, we should get a CAT scan. So we did the CAT scan pretty much right away. Um, they found a spot. And the doctor who gave me the results of the CAT scan had these great big eyes and really? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he kept telling me, well, you, you have a spot and uh, we need to get a better look at this spot. And I said, listen, just give it to me. What's, what do you mean? Well, you have a brain tumor and we need to get an MRI to see if it's cancerous or not. I'm like, wow, you went from spot to brain cancer in like five seconds. So we did the MRI and it's, um, so the MRI came back and thank God it was not brain cancer because uh, statistically people don't normally um, survive brain cancer. Um, at, yeah, so it was not cancerous, thankfully, but it was quite large and it had to be removed because it was starting to get so big that it was affecting these different parts of my brain, like the, um, the smelling different things and my vision was blurring and when I would drive, I would kind of zone out in space and just, it was not, it was not a good situation. So, um, <clears throat> they set me up with a neurosurgeon in Victoria and he decided that they had to operate because it was, the tumor was on the lining of my brain. That's where it was growing from. And it was about the size of a golf ball, tennis ball. So in between wow. a golf ball and a tennis ball. So if you can imagine something that large pushing into a sponge, that's what it was doing to my brain. Yeah. Because it had nowhere to go on the skull side of my brain. It could only push into my brain. And it was affecting the frontal lobe. Um, so so how I, did you take that? I was... was freaking out i my fight or flight system was going nuts i um i started drinking alcohol again quite a bit actually um my husband was working away a lot i was still managing the house and working and dealing with the kids so this was after you came <coughs> to invite jesus into your heart yes okay yeah i fell i mean I had Jesus in my heart, but I still was dealing with um, the disease of alcoholism, um, which I had under control. I was sober for a good um, 10 years at one point in my life mm -hmm. and then fell back in or slipped as the people. Because of fear. Yeah, fear and... Just the, the shock of it. <clears throat> but um, so... I, I continued working right up until a couple of days before my surgery. So I just needed to keep busy and I was scared and I didn't know what to do with myself. So my surgery was scheduled in Victoria where one of my brother, brothers was living on the Navy base there. And so me and my mom and my husband went down there and stayed with my brother for the, for the night. So I could get ready for surgery the next day. And <clears throat> I was terrified. I, all I could do was cry. And I'm sure. Yeah. Because it's serious when I thought for operation sure, on the brain. Right? I hadn't, like, I wouldn't recommend fighting with God under any circumstance. But with my own struggles, I was questioning everything. Yeah. At that time, and on the island, I was kayaking a lot, and I would go out into the water 
by myself in solitude and just that's where I felt close and alone with God. It's one of the things that, <clears throat> that we have learned from the Bible is that we can express our emotions to God, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't have to hold them in and we don't have to pretend. <clears throat> yeah, and he doesn't hold that against us. Exactly. No. And we can question, and that can be healthy, but I was at a point where I was challenging him. Like, there, were, the last time I went kayaking was at nighttime. I had never gone kayaking at nighttime before. I was too afraid, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's a foolish idea to do that. Well, on the West Coast, anyway, because it's the ocean. Mm, there's, there's whales and... Sea otters, sea lions, and it's dangerous. And if you tip or something happens, Nobody's nobody can there. see you. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went out by myself at night. And I was in an unfamiliar place. I had never kayaked there before. And I'd never kayaked at night. So I went as far out as I could go. And there were some rocks, like large rocks. Um, formations out in the water and I went out to that that was my destination point <clears throat> so I got out there and the sun was going down and um, I was challenging God I was basically feeling like I was going to die during this operation and that that wasn't good enough like I I I can't go out by a surgery. That's so lame. <laughs> you know, like I if I was going to die, it had to be like dramatic. this big dramatic thing, right? <laughs> <clears throat> so I um I was fighting with God and at the same time uh you remember Selena, of course. Yeah. Uh one of my pastors, uh Stephen, who actually baptized me, uh, was going through his own uh, brain tumor struggles with his wife, Selena. God rest her soul. She's um, passed on now. Um, she was part of the statistical thing that I mentioned earlier that people with brain cancer don't normally survive, and it was unfortunate that she, um, her brain cancer um, took her life. Hmm. And that shook us as well. Mm-hmm. Not just individually, but as a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you believe and you pray and you have faith and then... Yeah. People were praying all over the place. Yeah. Something so tragic happens and... Um, but we don't see the big picture like God does. Yes. You know? <clears throat> you good? Mark is jumping over here. He's jumping the side. in the corner over here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just getting straightened up here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Stephen had a big part of my um, recovery, and he was kind of going through the same thing, I guess, except um, Selena had passed, or was going to eventually pass away, and I had, I was just in the fear of dying. <clears throat> and Okay, so, sorry, I just had another squirrel moment with my ADD. <laughs> Um, he, um, so I went and I had my surgery, okay? I thought I was going to die, and this is real fear. I was 
So just me and my mom and my husband were in the surgical area, right? The anesthesiologist, the guy that puts you to sleep. Yeah. Was trying to knock me out, like cover my mouth and nose with this mask and make me go to sleep, right? And I just wasn't having it. I wanted to say something to my husband. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I just need to tell my husband something. And he was getting annoyed. I could feel it in my chest and I could see it in his eyes because they were all in their surgical gear. And he, I think he even actually rolled his eyes at me. <laughs> like annoyed that I wanted a moment to talk to my husband before I go into brain surgery, people. Like, hello, mm -hmm. anybody would have a moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> this is surgery number one of the day. Yeah. You want to get this over with. Yeah. So I told my husband, I just said, um, Russo, if anything happens, just, um, just take the kids and, and go back home. You know, but just find... Find them a good mom. And he told me to shut up. <laughs> like, he just thought that was the craziest thing I could say. Oh, shut up. Like, don't be so foolish. <laughs> Did that comfort you a bit? It, it no. <laughs> I let them drug me up and knock me out at that point. <laughs> and I went into surgery. But I was, that just shows how um, much I believed that this was going to be it. I was going to die. And there was nothing. I had no control over anything <clears throat> but I was still in relationship with God because you can't fight with someone and not be in a relationship with them so I was fighting with God but yeah in a relationship <laughs> with him but just yeah. in a negative kind of way and just because we <clears throat> slip or fall doesn't mean we're not his children right yeah we, we stay his kids like yeah. his his sons and daughters right yeah so I knew in my heart that if I was going to die, I was going to go be with the Lord in his kingdom and I would be okay, but didn't know what was going to be of my husband and my four kids. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it was a tough place to be it's very stressful. Um, I go into surgery, I wake up, they had to cut a pretty large piece of my skull off to remove the tumor and then they replace that piece with um, titanium and screws. So every once in a while I'll feel my head and I'll be like, oh, man, do I have a screw loose or what? It's <laughs> like, in this case it could actually be true. <laughs> and you, you beep when you go through an airport uh, actually, security? Actually, no, I don't, no? but okay. it's titanium so I don't oh, beep and up. I can yeah, I can't stick a magnet to my head or anything, which would be kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, bless your heart yeah. so there's, wow. there's been a lot of experiences that went along with um, the surgery and coming to Christ and just being a part of a church and a church community of people who love you and pray for you so <clears throat> after your surgery I mean I don't want to yeah. cut that short you can no no that's that's it for that part but yeah I wake up from surgery and my uh, my mom is there I see my husband and I just remember him looking at me crying and then hiding behind the corner <laughs> um, because when I woke up uh, my face was I didn't know this when I woke up but I had had a stroke during my surgery 
So that left me paralyzed on the left side of my whole body. So my face was all drooped on the left side. So if you can imagine, mm-hmm. um, okay. my eye was lowered and my mouth was lopsided. It was just very, I was unpleasant to look at, I guess. Mm. So I guess when my husband seen me, he seen that I was disfigured. Well, of course I was shaved. My head was shaved, okay, yeah. and I had 40 staples from my ear going up all the way around to the back of my head, and um, he knew that something was wrong. I asked him later if he, if I just imagined that, or if he actually did cry, and he said he didn't, but I, you think he did I think it? I, yeah, I think I seen him crying. The the doctor asked me to sit up when I woke up, and I sat up, but I flopped over. Because um, mm, so, the losing strength on one side. Yeah, well, so it wasn't just my limbs; it's every muscle on the left side of my body that I could, had no. Um, wow, that's serious. Control. That's a. Yeah, so we use our trunk muscle, our stomach muscles to sit right in our back. Yeah. To keep upright, and I had none of that on the left side, so it just kind of, I was like a wet noodle, <laughs> mm. <clears throat> and I couldn't drink. Everything was just drooling out of my mouth because I had no swallowing, swallowing function. Reflex or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in rough shape. Um, but once um, they got me settle, settled into a room and I finally was coming around, um, coming out of all that anesthesia and... My mother was visiting and my friends from work were visiting and encouraging me. The first thing I told my mom after surgery was, I'm strong. And I just kept repeating that. I'm strong. And she just confirmed, yes, you are. And you're going to get through this. And, you know, it's going to be okay. And so anyone that's gone through any type of uh, physiotherapy knows how difficult that can be on your body and on your uh, mental health. That was something that came along with stroke. Mm -hmm. was just depression. And not just for me, but for... um, For your husband? Yeah, my kids basically lost the mom that they had before. And had this new version of me that was very incapable of doing all the things that just I had was done before. Normal. Yeah, before. I was Easy a very fun. active mom, like football, soccer mom. You know, working, kayaking, doing all the things that prime of my life, mm. and everything changed. I couldn't walk. I could hardly talk or eat, or, you know, dignity was gone. Mm. I was wearing diapers, you know, Mm. I had, yeah, it was very um, life changing. Mm -hmm. So I'm laying on this um, physiotherapy mat and Stephen Summers had told me a verse from the Bible. Gosh, I should have memorized it while I was driving up here, but it went something like this. Um... God is, God's power works greatest in our weakness. Is that Corinthians 
Right. Um, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, right? Or yeah. Because God's grace is sufficient for us. Yeah. So when we're at our weakest, that's when God's power can work the best in our lives. That's kind of how I translated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I just kept thinking of that and thinking about how strong he's been through his wife's situation and being there for his kids. And I just kept telling myself, Toby, you're strong. Your, your mom made you from scratch and <laughs> you can do this. And I, I'm just stubborn anyway. So that helped in this situation. And I just really leaned into God and into the people that could speak scripture to me. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't read the Bible anymore, but I could listen to it. Mm. So I would, I listened to the Bible on my phone, like every day, and even today, five years later, I still um, listen to the Bible and I listen to Christian meditation and mm. try to surround myself with. That. And you drove yourself here today, just <clears throat> just for the ones listening. Toby drove herself here today. Yeah, so um, after all that, um, so my surgery was August 4th of 2016, and um, there was no way that my husband and kids could stay in Nanaimo with just living off of one income. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing contract work, so I had no um, benefits to live off of. I was basically... Moneyless, and uh, we still had our home back east. So we were able to move back in. The people that were renting had a place already set up. Okay, so this Venus was telling me before this is that your husband went back before you, right? Mm hmm. And not because he wanted to, I I made him because I'm the boss. <laughs> uh, I the kids needed to get back into school yep. after summer break, and um, my mom was upset that we were leaving. You know, mm-hmm. leaving her, I guess. Yeah. Not really leaving her, but leaving that part of the country, and would be far away from her. So, um, but it was the right decision in retrospect, because uh, <clears throat> my community had my back. Like that's, that's when good. Russo, I told Russo and the kids to go back home. So they drove all the way back home. My friend Rose that I spoke about mm-hmm. that I met in the grocery store had helped Russo and the kids um, sell everything in yard sales. Um, so we basically started over twice in a year, which was tough that's on its quite, own, I but mean, we had a lot of help. Completely across the country. too. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Thankfully, we had housing. That was the major thing. Mm-hmm. And community. Yeah. So how mm. long did you stay behind before you c- could have actually went home? It took a while. I was in intense rehab in the same hospital I had surgery. And then they moved me about, a, I think, a month later to the Nanaimo Hospital for more therapy. But I was still living in hospital. After Nanaimo Hospital, so this is the second hospital, um, that hospital agreed to fly me, to cover the cost of flying me home because I wasn't able to leave hospital on my own. 
and there was nobody that could like take me in and care for me in the way that I needed because keep in mind I was like I couldn't walk I couldn't transfer to a wheelchair I couldn't go to the bathroom I was still um wearing adult diapers and couldn't wash myself and just very you need to be taken care of I needed a like a health care team right so the hospital arranged for me to be admitted to our local hospital in Miramichi and be under the care of my family doctor back home. And the only issue was just getting home. How did you get home? Um, they flew me, but there was another challenge. They had to have somebody accompany me. And my mom couldn't do it because uh, she was still caring for her mother. And uh, my best friend, Tina, stepped up and said that she could do it. She would take the time off of work. And Air Canada um, let her, like, they covered her flight. So the hospital covered my flight. Um, Air Canada covered her flight to be my attendant. And I I still had, I had to wear a, a catheter, and I was still very unstable on my feet. I could stand up at this point, but I couldn't walk. And I was only learning how to pivot and get myself in and out of my wheelchair from a bed. So there was still a lot of work to be done, but I was working towards, in my mind, I was going to be, you know, back to my old self in no time. And so you were back home and you were back in the Miramichi hospital. Yeah, so... Uh, They flew me and Tina across the country and my husband and kids uh, met me at the Miramichi Hospital uh, once I arrived there. So I flew into Moncton. Moncton uh, took me, ambulanced me to Miramichi. Miramichi took me in and got me situated on uh, the Alzheimer's, like 1E, so that would be like the Alzheimer's and dementia patients floor. Very difficult to be. It must have been difficult surroundings. Oh, it was very strange, and but I had really good therapy. The physical therapist in Miramichi are wonderful. I had probably every service imaginable offered to me, and I used it. <clears throat> so, if we look at you today, we wouldn't even that story would be something that we wouldn't pick up on. Really? Yeah, my, my face is almost back to normal. I, that was a lot of um, mirror exercises. A lot of physiotherapists get you to do all kinds of crazy stuff to get your body back to where mm. it can function better. But I don't have use of my, my leg. I use my hip muscle to move my leg, and I don't have use of my hand. And medically, um, it's very unlikely I'll gain anything back in a useful way but who knows god may see to it that i'm healed you just Mm. never know right and maybe it's just not part of my plan to be fully healed maybe i would go back into um alcoholism or maybe a you know i'm okay with living my life like this because it's just given me 
the opportunity to live more on purpose mm. with more intentional like so <clears throat> looking back at that you can see how God helped you um, go moving from the point of challenging God to getting mm. to where you are now. Yeah, being vulnerable and allowing him to work in my heart and work in me um, and plant seeds and just be an example for my children and anyone who sees me living my life. And that's a big step because you drove here by yourself and <clears throat> you're going to go home driving by yourself and mm -hmm. that's a step a major step yeah. and that <clears throat> gives you a form of independence and that i'm sure is a is a great feeling it really is independence is a huge part of being human and having your dignity there was a long time i wasn't allowed to drive because i had a um a seizure in my sleep and if you have a seizure you automatically lose your license for one year or until you're seizure free for so long mm -hmm. and I find it was really hard not being allowed to drive because that was my only escape your only way of showing your independence yeah and doing what I wanted to do like when I'm driving I don't feel paralyzed mm. I, I feel like I'm normal or yeah I don't know, maybe not normal, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember <clears throat> one of your videos you shared and you were walking down a corridor of a hospital. Yeah. And you're walking by yourself and I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and because <clears throat> of your determination that you were willing to do whatever it took to be able to have some movement yeah being able to walk yeah and there there were many of those days that i just didn't want my physical therapist to come in and wake me up out of bed i just wanted the world to leave me alone just let me wallow in my own self-pity because i'm no use to anyone you know like what i can't work i mean i can hardly think or talk and i didn't want there were some dark days, um, but that's where Jesus came in. And I leaned into him. I leaned into his word and his promises and that he does want to heal us and he mm. can and he will. And just as you asked um, Meryl to pray for me earlier, I just kept thinking God can and he will in his timing. Anything is possible with him. It is. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter like who we are or what our circumstances are. It's not what we do that makes us like worthy or of value. Yeah. It's because God made us, he made us unique individuals and we have value just because he, he created us, right? Mm -hmm. And he made uh, no mistake. We are not a mistake. We were planned right from day one. Mm -hmm. And every step that we <coughs> took right from your foster home, uh, right to your family, and right to your children, and right to your husband, and right into the hospital, 
And because your dependency is not on yourself, your dependency is on God. Mm -hmm. And He will be your steps. He will prepare the way for you. He's not done. He's just begun. Yeah. It's, and when you, when you explain it that way, and when you think about God in that way, that like, you know, he's, he's not finished with me. Um, what's my purpose? It's so exciting. I can get, I can get all like worked up just thinking about, well, what is next for me? Yeah. Well, you had mentioned earlier, not in our discussion here, but uh, you said, I may not work, but you are working. You've started something. Tell us about that. Oh, okay. Thanks, Venus. Um, oh, excuse me. I had to burp. Uh, <laughs> I, um, when I arrived home, I, my, uh, our community leader of Eel Ground had um, done some work to my home. Thankfully, he did some, uh, he got some contractors into my home and made my home accessible for wheelchair. So, because I was completely dependent on my wheelchair and he had a ramp built in the back and widened the doorways and made my bathroom accessible, like a walk-in shower and stuff. So... I had stayed at that level for quite some time, like using my wheelchair at home, bringing it with me whenever I went somewhere. I was completely dependent on my, it's hot pink, of course, (laughs) (laughs) on my chair. Eventually, I got tired of banging up the walls and lugging it around, and I had to get my vehicle uh, adapted so that I could drive with just one hand. Uh, which was not a huge deal, but still a big process and had to put money into that. <clears throat> but um, I realized being home in my community that things were not accessible for people like me um, that needed no barriers to enjoy community or to get out and be around other people. I was becoming isolated because of my disability. And um, I was still able to go to church because Victor and our church at Eastside um, had put in a ramp and I was, and they were also doing live broadcast of the services. And so there were still different ways that I could participate in different activities. I just had to be creative and find different solutions to my problem, to the barriers. So I wasn't working when I got home and my home was accessible, but the services in my community were not. I had to apply for social assistance or welfare and nobody wants to do that. You know, nobody wants to go in and apply for welfare or have to be in that situation. Um, So the community was probably built up way before anyone thought of making buildings accessible, right? So all of our buildings were quite old and all services were either upstairs and no elevator, just I couldn't access what I needed, not even um, therapy, like mental health 
type therapy, which I needed because I was in a depression and becoming more and more isolated with every barrier I faced. <clears throat> so I decided to, um, there was an opportunity um, to take a business course. And, but you had to have a business idea to take this course. So I was like, well, I just jumped right. I didn't have a business idea until I signed up for the course and thought, oh, I'll just figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and once I got uh, more situated in my business course and realized that that building and program was not very accessible either, I started looking into options of becoming an expert on accessibility. So I found the the Rick Hansen Foundation was offering a course on training people to be accessibility assessors. Ah. And that was that brought me back out to Vancouver or back out to the West Coast and I took the training in Vancouver, got to spend some more time with my friends that were out there. They were willing to uh, ferry across from the island and visit with me. And I got to spend time with my daughter, Savannah. She came with me to be my helper. <clears throat> and I was determined to finish this business course. And I had this big idea that I was going to change the world one barrier at a time. And I think people that were in my class thought that it was a pretty ambitious idea and that maybe I wasn't quite capable of doing all that work. But I like to prove people wrong and challenge, you know, challenge myself and challenge others. So I finished the course and I got, I found funding and I found a way to get there and I found the money to pay for the course and I did it. I did it with help, with my daughter Savannah's help. And Rick Hansen is a huge advocate for people with disabilities. You might remember the Man in Motion. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. When he his he, campaign. Yeah, he traveled the world in his wheelchair with help. You know, he raised a lot of awareness. But so, did you meet him? <clears throat> no, I wish I met his coworkers, but. Not him. Uh, someday, I'll probably bump into him at an airport or something. Yeah. <clears throat> so I finished that course and was determined to come back home and start my own business as a consultant. And I did. So my business is, if I can do a shameless plug, East Coast Accessibility Services. And you can find me. Well, you can find me. My name is Toby. Leah Russo, and I'm available to help. So you've started work on some, you have some projects on yes. the go right now? Oh gosh, I, I have, my very first client is a huge, huge project, and it's almost overwhelming. It scares me, but anything that scares you can help you grow and yeah. become better at what you do. So I'm working with a national park in my area, um, they plan to have more accessible uh, trails and services at the park, and that will help be more inclusive to people with disabilities, not just for physical, but 
visual like blindness or the deaf community mm-hmm. or um sensory um sensitivity like yeah. people with autism or kids with mm. different brain injuries so i have not just training but i have a personal perspective on how to make things better yeah you would wouldn't you yeah so i've started doing that got my first client scare it's scaring the heck out of me but i'm going to just give it my best and hopefully well you've come this <coughs> far yeah yeah you've how come can anything far? go wrong <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to someone who was just facing a health challenge life-changing situation i would probably say come have a coffee with me or let's get together let Mm -hmm. me help you through this or you know keep your circle small but loving and just have positive people in your life and there's always a silver silver lining that's kind of one of my superpowers is that i can find a positive thing in any bad situation Mm. well look what you've been through look at how far you've come you've come a long ways and jesus is at the helm and you've not been defeated yet you've come through so many challenging things or issues in your life and here you sit Mm -hmm. and you're working and you've got a plan in front of you to uh, make life easier for those who have a disability and and you can let them know that anything is possible. You can get through this. Mm -hmm. I really hope that comes across in my message to the people listening. Um, So I really only wanted to do this to share and to be helpful. Well, you've been an encouragement to me. Thank you. Thank you, Venus. It's great to hear your story. Can I just have a quick word of prayer for you? I would love that. Father in heaven, thank you so much for my friend Toby. Father, you've led her through so much, and yet uh, life has been hard, and it hasn't been easy. But yet today she's got a smile on her face, and she gives you credit for all that... Uh, she's been through and what you've done in her life. I just pray that you will continue to lead, guide her, and direct her. And I pray that you would help her on this project that uh, she's working on. And and as she says, it, it it's a big project, but it can be overwhelming. And you at the helm can lead her and guide her and give her exactly what she needs. I commit her family to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Thank you guys so much. This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. Visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.